Welcome, everyone, through all time and space to an all-new episode of Weebs on the Weekends, a podcast where we break down the anime news highlights of the week and give a retrospective look at anime that premiered 10 years ago. Today's episode will be covering the news from the first week of November 2020 and give our thoughts on whether the first three episodes of the 2010 Studio Madhouse anime Iron Man makes us sus or expect the rest of the series. My name is Jay Johnson. I'm a part-time weeb and full-time English language sensei. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Sam Martinez, part-time weeb and full-time automail mechanic. How you doing today, Sam? Well, Jung Wingi Guru Johnson. Kumaha Hibarna. Kudui. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, let's see. Hmm. So we had Zulu last week or last mm-hmm. episode and I should have recognized it like after listening back to the episode I was like I've heard this before it's just like in the spur of the moment I guess the language doesn't hit me in my membrane where it's supposed to hit me but yeah see. your brain just wasn't primed I guess yeah it's still not primed it's never primed um let's <laughs> see when I get out of teacher mode my brain just goes Durr for the whole weekend until Monday, but let's see. Good wee. Uh, I want to say it sounds Asianic again, but that's kind of broad. Uh, can you tell me one more time? Can you read it to me? Can you say it to me? Again oh, one yeah, more time, actually, give me one moment. Yeah, will Jung Wingi Guru Johnson Kumaha Hibarna and. I will give you a bit of a hint too, because I gave you a hint last time. So yes, uh, th- this will be uh, it's two hints, okay? So it's as you said earlier, it's Asianic, and with this one, it's a lot closer to you. So think south. Which direction is this? Where is the compass? Oh, uh, no, don't show me my location, Google. I want to see the compass. <laughs> it's the uh, southeast, southeast of you. Okay, southeast of me. Okay, because I was going to say maybe it might be Maui because, like, I was listening to Moana's um, Maui uh, audio track, so I was thinking it might mm-hmm. be that, but that's not southeast of me, so... I would say something probably, uh, maybe something Chinese dialect, but something above Tibetan, but east of Kazakhstan. So I'm going to say, let's go with something Uzbeki. You were closer when you said uh, Moana, dude. Uh, I I guess I... (laughs) It's... Um. This is the Sudanese language, and it's native to Indonesia. Uh, have you heard any languages from Indonesia at all, Jay? Uh, Indonesian? No, I don't think I have. I mean, I've been to Singapore, and mm-hmm. I don't think that sounds like that, but maybe I'm just dumb in the ears. So can you tell me something about this language that you chose? Yes, so as I said, it's uh, native to Indonesia and the regions that Sudanese is normally used in. It's in the West Java, uh, that that sort of region, the Western uh, Central Java region. It's in the region uh, that's known as Jakarta. I don't know 
why Jakarta pops out to me, but I feel as though I have heard that region a whole lot before. And see, it's also in the Southern Ligpung, and it's, uh, let's see, the in 2016, it was shown to have uh, 40 million speakers. And it's, let's see, the native speakers in Indonesia that speak Sudanese, they represent about 15% of Indonesians' uh, total population. And uh, you, you were actually close when you said uh, Malay because Sudanese appears to be the most closely related to Maduris and Malay, and they are more distinctly uh, related to Javanese. And it also has several dialects, depending on where in Indonesia the speakers speak Sudanese. Okay, yeah. So I think I'm going to count this as a win because you gave me two different pieces of information. You said it was southeast of me. And it is. Jakarta is definitely not southeast of me. So it's not? I was going to go with Maui. So I was going to go with Maui. So I think I'm close enough. But how I'm doing, Sam? Doing okay. pretty well. Uh, this week was more prep week for my school's English week next week. And again, this was the last week I could hold um, <laughs> hold Among Us sessions for my students because mm-hmm. they got very much in trouble. Like their whole 12th grade uh, class got in trouble. So I had to hold basically a disciplinary meeting um, every day after school until 6 p.m. <laughs> and just oh, <laughs> it's no. really interesting. Yeah, very much a, not authoritarian, but basically you get the whole class in the library, you have them stand in front of you and almost all their subject teachers come sit down like very much a America's Got Talent kind of way. They like sit behind the desk and they talk about individual students' performance and things they're having trouble with. So it's very interesting that I had my own translator with, with me. So to make sure that even though my students understand me, I had to make sure that the, my fellow teachers had to understand me. I'd yeah. rather not tempt my broken skills in their own language. So mm-hmm. I had my own translator, which was neat. But yeah, very interesting stuff whenever I have to participate in disciplinary meetings or have to talk with parents about how well their students are doing. Did you tell them this is why we can't have nice things? I tried. It didn't really translate that well. So I basically had to say <laughs> that uh, if you do good, then you get good things, essentially. <laughs> so you be good people, you get good stuff. But yeah, pretty, pretty busy week this week. only have about six weeks of school left for this term. And then I get a whole month and a half off because of uh, the government here is trying to make sure that the big C word doesn't come back in full force when like years are really intense. So making sure that people are staying inside away from people. So school's going to be out for about a month and a half. But how about you, Sam? How was your week? Uh, My week, it was tumultuous to say the least. I've uh, spoken to you. I've had some uh, personal issues uh, happen uh, with my family and also with uh, the state of America because this week was election week. And that's been fun having to live through seeing people make memes of regardless of who wins, there's going to be riots. And I will say some of the funniest things that's happened because even though this seems to be the longest 
uh, time period in which the votes have been counted, which I think it's just because of our current um, uh, president, just because of his temperament. Uh, the joke. Have you you've seen memes about uh, how twenty seventy seven uh, cyberpunk has been pushed back, right? Yes, I'm constantly aware of its pushback. Yeah. So there's a meme because one of our states, Nevada, is uh, their count is it it has been taking the longest to get, and it's just funny because people are posting memes now now saying which are we going to get first half-life 3 cyberpunk 277 or nevada's uh vote count so you know things like that has been pretty funny in uh in regards to things i would say in regards to work there was an interesting case uh that we have seen we've seen a person come in with a type of prosthesis that can only be worn known as osteointegration. And I can't remember, Jay, have I mentioned it uh, before on the podcast, osteointegration? Uh, that big word? No, you have not mentioned that before. Okay. So long story short, basically what the big word means is it's a surgery where they insert a pipe into your bone and it comes out the end of your skin and you can essentially attach prosthetic components that way so it's one step closer to prostheses like we would see in full model alchemist uh battle angel or any uh cyberpunk-esque uh media that we've seen so it was just interesting because with this particular individual she uh, wasn't above the knee amputation, and so she had a knee and a prosthetic foot that's all attached to this pipe that's sticking out of her skin. Uh, and later on, I could show you uh, some pictures of uh, her limb if you want, if uh, uh, if you're okay with uh, being mildly grossed out. Uh, I think I'm going to be okay, but yeah, that's <laughs> interesting. It's always, I always like hearing about your job, Sam, because it sounds mm -hmm. like you go through a lot managing, because you basically are in the position of a doctor, but you're also a health, well, you're a healthcare provider, but also mm -hmm. you're taking these people through like a very difficult time in their life. So it's always interesting to see how you do like the technical side of your work, but then you do the interpersonal stuff, which is just as important. And even though you're not really trained as like a counselor or a therapist that's kind of part of your job inherently oh no no definitely for instance we've had an individual that we've seen a couple weeks ago where he lost his arm and it the way he lost his arm was through a car crash and that happened about five weeks ago so it's still kind of fresh and we were talking to him you know seeing what he if if he was hypersensitive on his skin and even then he needed to take the time to sort of walk through what happened and even as he was doing that it was sort of seeing somebody uh that you would see in a tv show who had shell shock or had ptsd just as he was talking about it he was saying himself how he was sort of reliving it and it sort of helps with the process i guess to sort of process what actually happened that this is my new normal now 
For instance, we've had patients who have to go get surgeries again because right after they have surgery, they would be in bed and they would need to get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. And when you get up and you need to go uh, take a leak or something, you you're not you're just waking up from dreaming. You're not thinking, oh, I need to be careful because I don't have my leg anymore. You're just thinking, I need to go to the bathroom before I make a mess. And then next thing you know, you're on the floor. So it's sort of one of those on-the-job training things coupled with some schooling because we did have to have some classes where we had to learn how to properly uh, talk with and uh, treat some of these people because not all of them come from the same background. Some of them come from money, some of them don't come from money, and they're in other cases where we may have to see prisoners, you know, things of that nature. So it's it's definitely something to consider that interpersonal relationship that you would have with the person that you are treating. So yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, I'm very familiar in that same regard of getting training about uh, bullying and like managing stress and a lot of things that teenagers go through because most of my students are in that age bracket where they're going through like emotional growth, physical growth, and mm -hmm. they're in a situation now, especially with the big C word going on, that their future is very much uncertain. So we've been, the school has definitely been pushing for like more increased training for the teachers to be more understanding in that way. But oh, that's, that's enough with real life. Yes. <laughs> that's enough with real life stuff. So you want to get into some talking about some anime news highlights of the week to brighten up our mood? It's good that you had mentioned the children because my first news has to deal with children. Segway. <laughs> so, so kind of creepy. <laughs> all right, you, you, you'll you'll understand. So it's just uh, saying that the Promised Neverland, the second season, is going to be premiering on January seventh, twenty twenty one, and. Let's see, the second season, it was originally premiered to, uh, it was originally slated to premiere in October of this year. However, it was delayed because of the big C word. And it's been, and, and they were just released the date being in uh, January 2021 next year. And let's see, there's supposed to be an extra chapter that's going to be, uh, in this season as well but yeah uh and uh real quick uh the show will be streamed on crunchyroll hulu funimation and high dive and toonami began to air it uh last april 2019 and there's also uh, one thing that you had mentioned too that there's supposed to be a live action film adaptation to the franchise uh, it's supposed to be opening up this December, and apparently Amazon is developing a separate English uh, live-action series adaptation of the manga as well. And I just wanted your thoughts a little bit on The Promised Neverland, Jay. Yeah, so a big hype around this series because it was of course a manga adaptation and the anime premiered back in 2018 i believe because that was mm -hmm. 
back in competition with Demon Slayer at the time because it was like yeah. Emma, who the main character is, or ex- at least one of the group of main characters. Oh, well, just to talk about the premise real quick, because it's one of those anime that definitely it hits differently if you get spoiled to it. And there's mm-hmm. a major twist kind of like in the same vein as Decadence that we talked about earlier this year. Yeah, exactly. Where episode one is a big twist on the whole the premise where the setup to the uh, series is where there's this group orphanage where it's getting taken care of by these nuns and the main characters are these three uh, kids of the orphanage and then bad stuff happens essentially <laughs> but the bad stuff in particular you don't really want to name because that's part of the surprise but it definitely has like the genre tag of horror if you're going into it so be aware of that mm-hmm. but again it's a series that you want to experience without having anything spoiled to it and like you said like there there's a lot of hype around season two for how season one ended and i'm really excited to watch uh promised neverland season two because i did get into the manga a little bit during this intermediate time or mm-hmm. intermediate time and it just looks you know fascinating again to cover something that's seeing kids in danger is like one of my favorite genres, even though I don't like horror that much. I do like when kids are put into peril because I put Made in Abyss pretty high up there. Yeah. Same thing with death um, death battle games like Future Diary or other series of that kind. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Yeah, and uh, just to hop on that a little bit too, I did read, I read the manga before the anime came out i hadn't been paying attention to the manga because it was all the stuff that i had read before but definitely if i would suggest to promise neverland to those who like psychological games such as death note it's a really really good psychological thriller in my opinion and uh how they also build the world and the characters as well so on to the second bit of news, uh, another uh, series from a Fuji TV anime lineup. Well, well, this was given in the their presentation, I suppose. There is going to be a new anime titled, I think the way that you would pronounce it is Sestives. The way it's spelled is C-E-S-T-V-S. The Roman Fighter, and it's supposed to premiere in April 2021. And this uh, series is an adaptation of the manga, which is uh, Cestus, The Legend of Boxing in the Dark Ages, and as well as the sequel manga, the, uh, sorry, this uh, sequel manga that came from it. And they pretty much released... Uh, art for it and the voice actors for it for instance the main voice actor is going to be somebody that was uh, in Tokyo Ghoul RE second season and the synopsis of this anime it's more of a historical fiction a little bit like Vinland Saga it takes place in 54 AD Cestus, a young boy who's orphaned by the Roman Empire, is made a slave, and he's placed in a school 
that's training to be a pugilist, which is a fancy word for boxer. And it's there that he begins his journey and trying to fight and take back his freedom. And from what I've seen, it seems like it's going to be another work that deals mainly with uh, computer-generated animation. And so I wanted uh, sort of your thoughts on this, Jay. It seems like uh, after Vinland Saga, we're getting another uh, historical uh, fiction anime. Do you think we'll be getting more of these uh, to come if uh, this guy uh, ends up taking roots as big or make a bigger splash as Vinland did? Yeah, it seems to be a, like a current trend that's trending upwards right now. Last week mm -hmm. we talked about Yasuki, which is the oh yes, 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 the first Black Samurai that served under Ota Nobunaga. So mm -hmm. yeah, like you said, like Vinland Saga is a good example. I mean, we've been seeing like a lot of rise in like the relevance of Vikings again. Give it God of War two. Or God of War, I guess it's just called God of War. But yeah, <laughs> yeah the new God of War remake or a sequel or prequel or reboot. And then like we just had Assassin's Creed Valhalla, as well as the show Vikings, which grew in popularity given how vicious it was compared to, not even compared to, but it was definitely a rival show to uh, Game of Thrones. So I'm not mm -hmm. surprised that this is coming up now, or at least historical fiction, fictionalizations are trending up words so i'm looking forward to this because i'm a big fan of megalobox which is another uh, that was the mm -hmm. cyberpunk edition or cyberpunk version of boxing as well yeah. as hajime no ipo which is like a long time standing classic of like fights anime so i'm look i'm very interested to see how brutal this is going to get because i can't imagine you know that kind of historic boxing is anything but bare knuckle boxing and not much technique to it so i wonder how it's going to stay interesting if they're all going to be boxing the same way oh no no definitely and i would say just it would be interesting as well because mainly i've i've gotten me personally i've just uh become more into boxing and at least modern day boxing people have different styles even though it seems like you have like Basically, everyone's going in there trying to fight like Rocky, but you do have your more defensive players, you do have more of your aggressive players, and you have more of your balanced players. And I'm sorry, not players, but uh, athletes. And it would be interesting to see uh, if uh, see how technical they'll go with it, because as you mentioned, Hajime no Ippo, they uh, do a lot of shop talk. And it will be interesting to see if uh, they try to go a more historical route to see, uh, or at least to highlight uh, some of the more older boxing techniques. And I, I just hope that it does a better job than Kengen Ashura. Are you familiar with that work, uh, Jay? Yeah, that had some very rough CGI on it, mm -hmm. and, but I think it was very interesting how they tried to mix the two art forms, be it like still uh, hand-drawn animations with the CGI. Again, I we talked about this in our Katana Katari episode yeah. where I really appreciate they did do shop talk in that anime, but it was kind of – it was much of a mixed bag because it was just a tournament arc. It wasn't really much of a overarching story. 
So if you weren't really into the aesthetic of it, it was kind of just a lost cause on you since that was all the substance to it. Mm -hmm. Yep, essentially. But I think with the story of uh, redemption or not necessarily redemption, but this kid trying to win back his freedom, I think the story will have a uh, will be a big component to it as well. So we'll just have to wait till April to see about this guy. Now on to the next bit of news again, uh, because it seems like uh, we've been talking about MAPPA, Studio MAPPA, the last uh, few episodes. I think that it'd be best to bring up another uh, Studio MAPPA's news, but uh, they are slated to have another anime uh, come out next summer in 2021, and the... Anime work is called, let me see if I can get this right. Uh, in the Japanese, it's called Kul Kyo Shinsa's Hayon Sedai no Ida Tentachi. The, basically, a translation would be the Itaden deities and the peaceful generation. And it's just a anime uh, adaptation of this manga. And the synopsis, and the synopsis for this one is that it's been about 800 years since the battle gods uh, Itaden uh, have uh, both overwhelming speed and strength, and they had fought against uh, demons who sought to rule the world. But the battle was done, and it's now a distant myth. And while the peaceful generation of the gods, basically they're new gods who were born, who never experienced war, they are now thrown into... Uh, war because somebody had went and revived the demon clans and apparently there's uh, three forces of power that are going to be battling for control and it seemed to be a wacky uh, comedic uh, battle type anime so well again uh, Jay what do you, what do you think of uh, MAPPA doing all these uh, animes back to back uh, it sounds about right, given their popularity recently. I mean, they mm -hmm. did do Listeners earlier this year, and, yeah. but, and they also did God of High School. They're doing right now the Juju Kaisen, so I'm not surprised that they're, again, another trending Upwork studio, especially when they we just reported like two weeks ago that they're in a business with Netflix now, and they're yeah. running through original series through Netflix, and they're giant massive production line so not surprised that mappa is kind of taking the lead and like putting their best ideas forward because anime studios do come and go pretty frequently or at least they kind of find a niche to work in but mappa is kind of just putting their name out on good fight choreography so i'm not surprised that this is a property they might want to delve into to kind of diversify their their works or their publications. So I'm mm -hmm. looking forward to this off that little uh, description that you gave, even though <laughs> we don't know any of the voice actors or like any of the visual stylings yet, but yeah, interesting. Well, yeah. All right now we just have stills and a sort of uh, TV promo. As you said, we don't, uh, at least from what I've seen right here, we don't really have any, uh, information on who's directing or who's going to be voice acting in it and the last bit of news that i have <laughs> hopefully 
I'm I'm just interested to see uh, what your uh, opinion is on it. Uh, hopefully, you don't think I'm trying to uh, poke fun at you or anything. But it's uh, talking about a new anime that's supposed to be released that is volleyball themed as well. It's called Two Point Four Three Saiyan Koko Danchi Volleyboo, which is uh, uh, Two Point Four Three Saiyan High School uh, Boys Volleyball Club, and they just released a key visual uh, regarding uh, their numbers, and uh, they have the players there as well, so you can see them all. And it is slated to begin on January eighth in 2021 and you being a big haiku fan i didn't know if you had dabbled in other uh, volleyball anime animes uh, well manga with this one this was a light novel series so yeah thoughts comments concerns yeah. oh yeah so i saw this originally like two weeks ago when its first trailer dropped and mm-hmm. again like it was in the uh, vein of you know animes of the same kind kind of flock together so like all the high q fans that are like still in their emo sad mode that the manga ended like a couple months ago or like mm-hmm. oh my maybe this is going to save the volleyball anime scene and you know kind of like replace high q essentially even though the anime is still going on right now still they still kind of looking for the new thing but i'm not really in that kind of camp of I need a replacement because I've watched IQ about three times uh, <laughs> straight through in the past couple of months. So it doesn't really get old for me. So I'm not really looking for a new fix, nor am I really thinking about the way of like, oh, if I enjoy this one volleyball anime, I'm going to enjoy this other volleyball anime. That's not really the strength of IQ, just the presentation of or the depiction of the sport itself. Is the characters, it's the world. So it has to do some heavy lifting to get my attention. And I haven't seen anything from this yet. And again, light novels uh, aren't really a good indicator of quality because like light novels very, very much in a wide range. I mean, if you look at SAO, it's kind of that kind of camp. Of, yeah. You never know what you're going to get when it comes to a light novel. But uh, this I'm going to it's not going to make my list for next season to watch out for but if it's somewhere that someone mentions that it's interesting enough I might check it out well just so you know and prepare yourself there is a voice actor from Haiku that's going to be voice acting one of the main characters here in this show as well and they also have the director for JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Part 5, Golden Wind. He's going to be directing it. And uh, let's see. The series composition is going to be created by the person who did My Hero Academia. So just wanted you to know. That way you don't feel like you've been betrayed by uh, one of your beloved voice actors from Haiku. Oh, yeah, no problem. I mean, everyone can have some, you know, trash series under their belt. No one has a perfect record. So if this does turn out to be good (laughs) and not just hot guys doing volleyball, then it'll be interesting to see. But I'll look forward to that. But is that the last news story, Sam? Yes, this is the last news story. 
All right, awesome. I forgot to mention, like, the codes will always be in the description. So we have three segments today. So thank you, Sam, for the news. And now you are welcome. And now we're going to our sex, second, second, second uh, segment of the episode is going to talk about our three-episode tests for the fall 2020 season. So about three episodes ago, we talked about the anime that we're watching for the season and let me tell you, Sam, oh my gosh, are there so many new animes this season, and 2020 <laughs> is so strongly, it almost makes up for all the death and disease and the world on <laughs> Is it? Is it really? Okay. <laughs> A little bit. A little bit. So, yeah, so I wanted to talk about uh, your mind number five, which I think you had higher up on your list, the uh, Akud- um, Akudama Drive. Akudama Drive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is my favorite anime of the season so far. So is it? Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Where was it on the list for you? It was my number five. It was my number two. All right, cool, cool. Yeah. So uh, can you refresh us? Can you refresh me about the story? Yes. So Akudama Drive, essentially, it started out with this girl. She was coming back home from work. She tried to return this coin to this guy from this stand. Some uh, comedy of errors, shenanigans happens, and she is arrested for trying to dine and dash. And as she is in the police station, she is roped up in a conspiracy with all these other people known as Akudama. And essentially, Akudama just translates to bad guy and... In this world, if you have the moniker of an Akudama, that just means that you're wanted. If you have a certain uh, bounty, quote-unquote, the way that their bounties work in this world compared to One Piece is if if you're caught, you would have so many years in prison. There's one guy, I think it was 5,000 years or something along those lines, you know, just showing how much night uh how, how uh notorious this person is and she like as i said she's roped up into this conspiracy with all these other uh akudama in which they have to free this other akudama so that they can uh continue to do a certain tasks for this character who gives who is uh tied to money and he just needs uh, these uh, the abilities of these individuals uh, for these Akudama. And it's a very wide variety of people. You have your brawler who can essentially plow through a wave of 20 robots and not break a sweat. You have this super hacker guy who essentially has little robots that he uses for uh, jetpack. You have this other person known as a carrier who has this super charged up motorcycle that he uses for everything you have this sort of doctor lady who can apparently heal any wound even herself if she's cut in half or something along those lines and it's just a very uh rambactious fun time in my opinion but jay what is it about akudama drive that keeps you coming back yeah so as of this recording there are five episodes available right now And a lot Mm -hmm. of these uh, series that we talked about uh, before are available on Funimation Now, which is the Funimation streaming site. 
and we'll talk about something about uh, something later, but that's Crunchyroll. So very easy to find all these. Uh, that's the benefit of, you know, the current anime scene is that mm-hmm. it's pretty easy to find anything that you're looking for, unlike the anime that we'll talk about later on today. But anyways, <laughs> so yeah, Akudama Drive, what really caught me about this series, and again, it was just in my fifth place, but hired for yours, and I only put it on my list because you mentioned it earlier. And the thing that keeps me coming back, Sam, is that it's so in it's like just a good time. Like all mm-hmm. the criminals get like cool code names, so much of like a reservoir dog, uh, reservoir dogs kind of situation. Like, yeah. So they don't even have names. So like, like you, like the carrier is just called carrier. The doctor is just called doctor. The hacker is hacker. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the normal girl who is that we're getting our, the perspective from or, you know, is the layman so we can get all the expedition dumped to us is, like, just called ordinary girl. <laughs> so it's, like, fun, kind of gimmicky in that way, but then all the characters are so bombastic, like you said. If I was going to parallel it to something, I would say it's kind of like Reservoir Dogs or Ocean's Eleven. Oh, all- yes. But they're all villains in their own right. They're not really good guys because the mm-hmm. criminal that they're seeking to free, we see in the first episode, his name is Cutthroat. Mm-hmm. And he has a life sentence of 900 years. So, like, all these Akudama definitely have, like you said, like they have like these bounties on their head. They have, like, basically war level crimes. <laughs> and, like, essentially. Yeah, they have essentially a sub to the show is that the Japan basically went through a civil war period and basically divided in half. So one region of Japan is subservient to the other. And then there's like military police in charge of the whole and criminals are kind of freedom fighters, freedom fighters, but they're still bad people because they're all psychotic in a different way. And it's very much enjoyable to see crazy people do crazy things. But mm-hmm. also how crazy people interact with other crazy people. And then on top of that, you have this cyberpunk aesthetic. So we talked about yes. twenty cyberpunk 2077. Mm-hmm. But I would say it's more of a uh, Blade Runner. Also, uh, whatever. what else am I thinking about? I guess Blade Runner is a good parallel to this. So it's so visually stimulating that you just want to pause every second of this anime just take a screenshot of it so that's why i keep coming back to it i would also say too just hopping on the blade runner parallel even though it has like that blade runner aesthetic it doesn't feel dark and depressing it's i guess it's because of the energy of the characters and the uh comedy of error type situations that they get themselves in because as you said like it feels like a fun time even though you know we have this cool dark aesthetic and it's uh offset by these neon light and these bright colors as well and it's i I guess that's what makes it so much fun like even though like it's in a dark setting and like you said it's in this post-civil war time frame it's still very very fun and uh, I had another point. I can't remember at the moment, um, but no, like I've, I'm, I'm glad that you are enjoying uh, Akudama Drive as much as I am right now. 
So it's it's still at my number two spot uh, for what's going on. I'd say that it definitely has passed for me, and I'm glad that it's passed for uh, your three episode test as well, Jay. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it has probably a good contention for uh, best anime, mm-hmm. not best anime of the year, but top ten anime of the year. It's like looking at now we're in the fall season, so it's the last season of 2020, and the anime this year have been just like kind of on points. I mean, mm-hmm. there's been a drop during the summer because a lot of it was delayed for later or for next year. But yeah, it's like this is definitely up there for me. So that was my number five. And real, number real quick, two, so real quick before before we go, I, I just remembered uh, going back to when you mentioned Reservoir Dogs. I don't know if you had a chance to uh, look at it, but every episode is titled after an American movie, like the beginning. It was titled Reservoir Dogs, and I think the second one, when they had to go on the train, it was called Speed. Yes, and yeah, they, I saw that. Yeah, I saw that. And yeah. uh, I, I don't know. I think that's also another thing too. It's similar to what you said with uh, Penny and Stocking earlier. I think like they try to take in some of that Western influence, uh, and they show that in their uh, in the names of the episodes. So that that was that was my brief aside that I wanted to get back to because I finally remembered uh, oh, what I wanted to say. Yeah, yeah, no problem. I mean, they're all yeah. So yeah, just talking a little bit more about that. I mean, I found that interesting enough because all mm-hmm. the titles are after heist movies, and the whole anime is around a heist. So yeah. that's why I made the Ocean Eleven parallel. And yeah, Speed is a it's not really a heist. Well, there is a heist in Speed, and then same thing with. Reservoir Dogs is a heist, so like all the titles are basically heist movies. So mm-hmm. looking forward to see how that if there is a deeper connection than just that surface appeal. But yeah, so about your number five, Sam, what was that? Uh, Noblis. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Needless to say, tell me why I failed. It how. Oh. It was essentially it was just pretty boys trying to be dark and gruesome characters in an interesting world. I mean, hell, like one of the reasons why I was interested was it seemed as though the fights and the powers were going to be interesting, and the only time that it it, it seems as though like as the fight is starting to get you interested, it stops. It's just a horrible tease. In regards to all that and the way that they focus on the characters it's it would be funny and interesting if you already knew the characters but because i don't know anything and they haven't really given any exposition for anybody except for maybe the noblest themselves and the human experiments but like on the noblest and who the people who identify as noblest their introduction was very lacking and wanting and all the confrontations it's it's just a bad tease so it 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 makes you think that there's going to be more but there's not more that's actually going to be coming so that it's one of, one of the few reasons why I'm frustrated with it and why it's failed for me. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it failed for me after episode one because 
I mean, a lot of the things that we can say about these webtoon adaptations recently, of course, webtoon being the Korean manhwa or manga mm-hmm. site that earlier this year we had Tower of God. Again, Tower of God had mixed reception, but as a standalone first uh, first uh, season, it was decent. It passed. I mm-hmm. mean, it got everyone interested in going to webtoons to continue the manhwa. And then we had Tower of God, which was a big tournament arc, but again, mm-hmm. filled up a lot of the exposition dumps with unjustified setup. <laughs> and then that's all that Noblest was. It feels very much of a support or a supplementary uh, media to the manhwa. Essentially, so people, yeah. yeah. If you don't read the manhwa, then you're just totally lost because they basically drop you into the story without really any setup. And that's very confusing. And anything that you can say about it is basically explained away as like you should have known better when you came into an adaptation. But that's not the job. Essentially, <laughs> that's yeah. not the job of an adaptation is to it's supposed to introduce you to things, not just tell you something you should already know. So it's for the people that are already familiar with the property. So if you're going to say anything about Nobilis, it's about vampires kind of it's about humans trying to find these vampires kind of and then like what does the vampires do in this world and it's a lot of they go to high school apparently (laughs) they go to high school apparently yes like every japanese vampire goes to high school but anyways yeah so it's a fail right off the bat and can't recommend it at all but again, I think it's one of those things of if you read the manhwa, then you're going to enjoy it because you already know it. But the mm-hmm. anime doesn't have time to explain itself to you. All right. So um, let's say my number four is the Ikebukuro Westgate Park. Did you get a chance to check this out, Sam, after my recommending it? Last I time? did. I did. I did. I saw the first episode. I, I'm trying to remember if I saw episode two or not. It. I, I I guess I just need to give it another shot because, or at least finished uh, the three episodes because I did watch it and it didn't really entrance me. It felt a, a little bit predictable in what they did with the little girl and things. But again, maybe I just uh, judged it too quickly. But what about you, Jay? How has it, because right now they have four episodes or are they five as well? Yeah, so right now the fourth episode is mm-hmm. out, um, but you know we're doing this on like the premiere of the next yeah. anime seat or the next anime term. So episode five will be released today, essentially. So yeah, I'm giving it a pass for me because okay. of where it's going. Like again, like three episode test is to set up the story, to introduce us to the characters, and even though there might be something contrite, like in the first episode, there's like a missing girl or mysterious Mm -hmm. girl kind of set up to it that it's kind of cliche in that but again like what you go into this story for are the characters because it is a adaptation of this novel series that's based around an urban uh, mystery so like if you're not even if the story right now is a kind of bland setup it's introducing the characters to how they behave how they interact their interest and their uh, stakes in the story overall so when the turn happens 
later. Again, if you're going to keep watching it, I don't want to ruin it for you. But again, yeah. the three episode test does come true for this one because you do get in that third episode the inciting incident. And I would oh, say that the first episode, okay. the first episode is just like set up to uh, that world yeah. that's going to unravel. Okay. I will say that one thing that I did kind of like and was kind of interested by was the main character, how he was sort of this bridge for the underground gangs as well as the police officers, mainly because of the people that he knew growing up and they all hold him in high regard. And he's sort of, uh, um, I'm trying to remember. He He's a little bit like Isaiah, but everybody likes him. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so yeah, uh, Mikado, again, the main character of the series, is basically a mm-hmm. broker or mediator yeah. for the games in Ikebukuro, which is a big city district in Tokyo. And, like, yeah, like you said, like, he's the he basically has friends in every single gang and he basically knows all the leaders. There's like this game called the Hammer Bros, which I thought mm-hmm. was hilarious because they go around smashing things or threatening people with hammers, like sledgehammers and his job is basically mediating between these groups who have like different ideologies and goals in this city and they're all like criminal organization they're like right criminals hurting people but he's kind of a keep my hands clean kind of guy even though he's friends with all these dangerous people and it's basically a not paint by number story but it's one of those things of like you can predict where it's going Mm-hmm. And I get that with the first episode, and I think it's a definitely keep keep it going until the third episode. And if the third episode and that when that mystery actually drops, and if it doesn't really sell you, then you can just drop it. But for me, okay. it's a pass. All right, I'll, I'll I'll go ahead and I'll do that. Then I'll I'll give it uh, those other two episodes. Then. All right, cool. So, what's your number four, Sam? Uh, my number four it was uh, Girls in the Dungeon. Ah, yes, of yes. course. Season three. Uh, is it wrong to pick up girls in the dungeon? So mm-hmm. did, it, did, it, did it do it for you? I would say it's, it's, it's been interesting. I Again, because with what's going on and the way that they set up uh, the world, and it seems as though that it's going to change the rest of the story. Uh, and definitely in how the world operates, which is good. I'm just a little suspect, mainly because with these type of works, whenever they do that, again, as I said before, it seems like each season is sort of like, it's sort of like an anthology almost. But like, uh, so, so for instance, like something that happened in season one, it does impact season two, but it's not the main focus. But it's just that it seems as though with what's going on right now, because it, they're playing around with the dynamic of the monsters and the adventurers, which is the main currency of that world. Uh, an adventurer goes and kills a monster and they get jewels that they go and they trade in for currency. And it, as I said, like it, they're sort of shaking up that, uh, that relationship and that would definitely have an impact on that world and on that society. And just with with the way that they've dealt with uh, the main characters and the supporting uh, female characters before, 
it would make me a little sus, but not really. I'm, I, I guess more apprehensive because they've done better. They, they've de- they've done good with uh, the main character and how he uh, approaches his female uh, characters in the past. But again, you know, because I'm still gun shy from all the other animes that I've seen that have done this, it's made me a little bit anxious as to what's going to happen. I would still say like it's past. I'm just more or less interested to see which route they're going to go. That's mainly what's keeping me going. Okay, that's fair. I mean, again, a three episode is mm-hmm. supposed to just intrigue you enough to keep going. And again, yeah. that's his job. But I mean, we're, is this the third season, right? No, no, it's yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. It's third season. It's a third season. All right, yeah. So, like, if you're in this far, then you're more likely <laughs> not settled into it. And like, is it Pretty wrong much. to put the girls in the dungeon? It's kind of a bad title, and yeah. it it doesn't really lean into what you would think of like that kind of title would entail because it is a dungeon crawler, not isekai because it's just a fantasy world, but mm-hmm. Bell is the main character, uh, white-haired kid. He's, his image is kind of not iconic, but it's familiar enough with the anime community that you know you can recognize Bell from his uh, character design. And yeah. the family dynamic of the series is that these are all based on like Greek gods, and they have familia, and those are kind of acting as the clan or guild kind of setup of the world and like you said monsters are the currency so defeating monsters gets you these crystals and the crystals have value and that's how the economy of the series works so again like the premise is very interesting and the uh, dynamic between the characters is good so i never really caught on to the series just because it kind of came out during a time where it felt like a SAO clone, sort of yeah. clone, which is not a fair comparison. But that is what formed in my mind when they came out around the same period. But yeah, I think I if I do get around to it when the series does wrap up, which it does seem like this might be the final season for it, I might come back to it. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, no, that would be good. And uh, what, what was your number four, Jay? Uh, my four was the Ikebukuro Westgate Park. So yes, yes, yes. So your number three, actually. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, I don't, I don't know. I think um, I'm, I might have uh, mixed up my uh, four and my three because it was around this time, the last time I spoke to you, it was uh, Fire Force. Eh. Uh, okay. So I, I, I would... Uh, put girls in the dungeon in number four and F- fire force just floundering at number four. I would say it's, it's, it's gotten interesting. They've dealt with uh, something in the story right now uh, that they realize the secret that has to deal with the church. And the last episode that I just saw has to deal with the, priest uh, sorry not the priest but the nun character that's with the main characters her coming to grips with that truth and the church that she basically works for and that was interesting uh seeing her uh faith get tested and seeing her having to overcome her own insecurities so 
it's just just a uh, little stuff like that that's just feeding me enough to keep watching and as you said with this uh show it's a little bit like my situation with uh pickup girls in the dungeon i've been watching it for so long so these little snippets is like okay i'm i'm interested to see what the next episode's going to do now so things like that cool yeah, I mean, I guess I'm a little bit more hype over it because I'm watching it literally as soon as it premieres because I'm on yes. the same side of the planet as that. So it's like the one anime that as soon as it drops, I'm watching because, mm-hmm. again, I'm more in the allowing the mystery to unfold kind of type because yeah. it does the series does distract itself a lot into a little antics of the firefighting force core. And the world's interesting enough where basically the world almost turned into a star essentially so like the whole it's called the cataclysm in this show yeah where basically the whole surface of the earth caught on fire and again that premise alone is interesting enough but then you look into this current season where they kind of explore outside the boundaries of japan and show what the rest of the world's like and J- yeah. the japan the tokyo empire is really the only civilization that's left and then when you form that around a religion and it just works in a lot of ideologies about what is the point of religion as well as the point mm-hmm. of government in that kind of post-apocalyptic world because that's what fire force is essentially it's past the apocalypse but the civilization has been existing long enough that they've kind of uh reformed and there's like third generations of firebenders so again like it's a lot of positives but again it does go into a lot of critical story elements that do make it weak so again Mm -hmm. i think i'm in the same camp of you that i'm following along just because i've been following along for so long (laughs) i've put in so much work there has to be a good payoff (laughs) yeah exactly and I mean, Soul Eater is by the same author that did Soul Eater, so mm-hmm. I like how Soul Eater ended, so I'm going to assume that the payoff to all this Fire Force is going to be equally as satisfying. But yeah, oh, yeah I definitely. got too. Yeah, so alright, my number three was Moriarty the Patriot, and there are basically five episodes, you know, going into this mm-hmm. next week is six episodes, but yeah, following along with this series, because of I'm a big fan of project or production ig who's done like attack on titan and high q and basically it's the whole sherlock story but through the lens of moriarty and i like everything about the series and it does pass my three episode test because a lot of the background design is good the character design is good everything around the series is just like so well-rounded and crafted that it's one mm-hmm. of those things of oh i'm appreciating the effort of highlighting a villain and all the intermachinations that go on with that kind of thinking of how to conquer the world. Very much of the same Lelouch variety of Code Geass of like, it is a villain, but you're kind of rooting for the villain, which yeah. is kind of a weird thing to do. But everything about it is interesting enough. It feels like very much the anime version of Peaky Blinders, if you know that <laughs> show. Thing. I remember Peaky Blinders, yeah. Yeah. So like the Moriarty family is gets a highlight. You see that Moriarty has like two brothers as well as like a cover job along with his business as a professional crime 
consultant, and mm-hmm. then Sherlock Holmes gets introduced in like the later within the later half of the three episodes. So like you even get a idea set up to their eventual confrontation. So everything that's paying off in these first three episodes feels like honed, and it's going to feel like it's going to pay off in the way that you expect it. So I'm going to keep it as a pass and keep it going. Oh, no, no, that, that's good. And I watched the first two episodes, uh, uh, as, as you had suggested, and I did like the monkey's paw take on the criminal consultant that he, he being Moriarty, has done, where this one guy, his uh, son was taken, and he was given the opportunity to enact revenge and it seemed as though Moriarty was doing the mob sort of uh, type of currency whereas I do this um, I forgot what the word is I'll do this thing for you but later on when I need you to do something for me I'm going to come and collect it you know, sort of like putting that person in his back pocket, sort of uh, making his network. And it was also interesting on how they, because I, I didn't watch uh, the third episode. Uh, I saw the end of the uh, second episode and it had inferred how he came into the position that he did with him and his younger brother. And so that was interesting. I guess the one thing that was sort of off-putting to me was how sanctimonious that uh, Moriarty was in regards with what he did. And that sort of didn't vibe with me. But I think if I go ahead and give it that third episode, I'll probably be sucked into it like you are. So, again, that, yeah, that's but... just my take. Oh, no, I totally agree. It does. It, there is a lot of depth to his character that I think they're not really flushing out fully so they're leaving you Mm -hmm. wanting in that way so again it's like one of the things that the second episode does have a part two resolution in episode three so there is something to that what you just said but yeah for our top two spots sam uh one of them is juju kaisen and what was Mm -hmm. the other one for you no no that that was it because my number two was akudama and my number one is jujutsu and your number two was jujutsu right so right yeah yeah yeah. so why why don't you go ahead and you give us your take on jujutsu so far yeah so it definitely does pass my three episode test even though we talked about this three weeks ago when it was on the third episode (laughs) and right now there are six episodes available and it completely passes and again i think it's one of a contender for top anime of the year yeah because it's again another studio mapper production and how they're handling the martial arts and the character uh development is just like just so on point and engaging and compelling that you enjoy watching them going about demon hunting mm-hmm. and again like the premise is solid in the first episode, the main character's grandfather dies, and the grandfather has this really great Uncle Ben, not really Uncle Ben moment, but he does he gives that passing wisdom, and you get a good, yeah. strong sense of who the main character is and where all his anachronisms or uh, mannerisms come from. He's a goofy character who wants to save people. 
Mm-hmm. And essentially, he's going into this demon hunting business because he wants to save as many people as possible. And he's working with other demon slayers who have different reasons to hunt demons. Like the girl that he, uh, girl he ends up working with, only hunts demons because she wants to live in New York. Sorry, not New York, but Tokyo. Yes. <laughs> Tokyo. And it's really interesting to see how that dynamic between the demon hunters are going to unravel. And right now on episode six, well, I don't want to ruin with episode six, but again, like this three episode setup does work well because there is a cliffhanger part two with three and four that just wants mm-hmm. you you keep watching and it's just engaging. And I think this is going to be one of those series that is a good bin watch later on. Oh, it, it, it definitely is. And as you said, with the dynamic of the characters, it's very much like what I mentioned in the first episode of God of high school. I was, I would, God of high school was a mess, but the first episode was good and it was golden the way that it was done. And the way that they introduced the characters and how they had this natural friendship that wasn't forced and Jujutsu Kaisen, the main characters, you can tell like they had to work a little bit and there was some friction, but even though there's friction between the characters, there is definitely this sense of unity that's there. For instance, the female character that wants to live in Tokyo because she's a country bumpkin. The main character, he's he's from the country too. So they have these moments where they're like, oh, we're in the big city. Let's go do big city stuff because we're both from the country. And, you know, they, they have like those moments like that. And yet there that moment is flipped because the dude says something that's stupid and gets her angry. But, you know, that's sort of like their friendly dynamic. And I can't remember his name, but the black-haired guy who can summon the shadow uh, creatures. He's sort of like off-putting, and he would do like these one-liner snide comments uh, against the character against his uh, other classmates. But you can tell that uh, there are moments where he has shown that his character he actually appreciates them, and he you know, doesn't wish them any ill. He does his best to protect them. And it's just the way that they build up those characters and that dynamic. It's just very, very good along with everything else in that show. So it it definitely did pass my uh, test as well. All right, cool. So my last Mm -hmm. spot goes to a continuation, kind of like your fire force is that this Mm -hmm. is in my top spot and I'm watching again on a, as soon as it released bases is high Q to the top season so it does technically count as a independent season but technically this is just uh season four of the series and right now it is episode 19 that just released recently and again it's more of the not more of the same because the animation style changed recently to a lot of um mixed uh, reception but it does seem like it has it has heightened or it's maybe sharpened because like a few episodes ago it wasn't as good so i don't should probably look into why the animation's kind of taken a step up maybe people were complaining too hard or which doesn't really make sense for kind of their broadcasting schedule of high yeah popularity so i actually don't know what's going on with that but there that sounds unlike you jay (laughs) yeah i know right uh, but they are in their national tournament arc right now. They're going mm-hmm. to 
soon face off against their like giant rivals, the main team being Kurasuno. And yeah. they're going up probably in the near future uh, against Nekuma, which is the their like kind of their big, big, big bad school because they've kind of been working their way through the past couple seasons through all their other big bads. But mm-hmm. again, like the manga did end recently, and we have maybe a season or two left if they do another full twenty four out uh, twenty four episode push. But have to be wait and see. But what they're doing now is really engaging. Like all their side characters are getting like a spotlight. They're putting more emphasis on like the C level tier characters and like giving them a moment to shine. So if you oh, have really? a favorite, yeah, like, if you have a favorite, they're kind of getting their moment to shine just very briefly and it's really nice to see that they're expanding the story out in this way i don't know if the manga does it i'm going to let the anime educate me about the series <laughs> before i go back to read the manga yeah completely on hardback or omnibus form but yeah that's why it's passing right now and i'm going to keep watching it and hopefully that i'll be happy with it and bill be watching it as the world's on fire but anyway <laughs> sam that's the fall 2020 anime review and all the passes and fails. See what yep. keeps us going. And we'll come back probably for our top 10 list of the 2020 animes that we've talked about throughout the couple past episodes. But on to some uh, anime review in particular from 2010. Sam, are you a Marvel or DC fan? Oh, hopefully by now you would know that I am most definitely a Marvel fan, sir. I do appreciate a good DC story every now and then, but Marvel is my home. All right, cool. So were you aware that Madhouse did an anime of Iron Man before our podcast? Yes. they. I don't know if – I knew that the uh, – I, I didn't know if Madhouse did Iron Man, but I know that – there was an Iron Man and an X-Men anime that came out at the same time. I would like to think that Madhouse did that one too, mainly because the aesthetic and the styles were very, very similar. But yes, I was aware that it did came out before this. Uh, yeah. You're in the minority then because <laughs> for one, yes, you're right. There was a, this is actually part of a four part project between Marvel Entertainment and Madhouse mm-hmm. Studios. So they also had so Iron Man was the first, then followed up by Wolverine, then yeah. the X Men, and then Blade. So they yes, that's right. They did do Blade. I forgot about Blade. They happened in 2010 for Iron Man. So we just passed the 10 year anniversary. It premiered back in October 1st, 2020. Sorry, 2010. And then in 2011, they dropped uh, the Wolverine, X-Men, and Blade series. So this is called, they're collectively called Marvel Anime. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's not even Madhouse, Madhouse, Madhouse presents uh, these series. But yeah, so these four basically center around Marvel characters. I hope everyone knows that it's more parlance now, given where post-apocalyptic of the snap that happened two years ago (laughs) surprisingly well two years ago yeah a year ago well more than a year ago now but anyways a lot of them should be come yeah go on i'm sorry go on oh no i was just thinking about yeah because i the reason why i think this went under the radar because this 
happened in the same year as Iron Man 2, and yeah. Iron Man 2 is still one of the least beloved Marvel films, so it kind of went under the radar. So if it definitely premiered when the first Iron Man premiered, then I think this would have been more beloved, but right now, yeah. I think everyone's forgotten about it because, for one... It centers on Tony going or Tony Stark going to Japan to establish a new arc reactor, mm-hmm. as well as test out his latest and greatest armor, which is kind of like a staple for any Iron Man storyline called the Dio. <laughs> so, <laughs> is that a JoJo reference? <laughs> is that a JoJo reference? Yes, <laughs> everything is a JoJo reference. Exactly. Us referencing JoJo is a JoJo reference, but anyways. <laughs> Yeah, and this is happening on the eve of his uh, retirement, so it's like a final uh, Iron Man storyline, and it was written. Mm-hmm. Also, this is the thing that it's, it's a story presented by Warren Ellis. Are you familiar with this comic book writer? No. Well, what has uh, Warren done in the past? Yeah, Warren Ellis is, I guess, on one of my top lists of favorite comic book writers, but yeah. I know him most... Um, readily from Red, R-E-D. Oh, uh, there was a... the Morgan Freeman, Bruce Willis, and I forgot what her name was, but it was about the <laughs> retired um, people who came back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Red stands for Retired Extremely Dangerous. So, okay. yeah, I know him from that, but he also has some more um, influential works. But yeah, it's a story by him, but again, the story writer... So, like, he presented the story, but the story writer actually is a writer of the Common Writer series. And that's why it feels like it does. Exactly. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Like, be- before we go on, which Common Writer series? Which one? Uh, the most recent series. Uh, I forgot to bring up the uh, writer's uh, credentials, but okay. all no, of his, like, of his 27... Of his te- 27 works, almost more than half of them are common writer from like the last decade, I guess. Okay, because I, I will say like I'm I'm a common writer fan, and there are, it, I I think we might have mentioned this before, but the common writer series. Uh, for those of you who for for uh, are are you familiar with common writer or no, Jay? Uh, I'm just familiar with it. It's in the genre of Sentai, which is mm-hmm. the Mighty Morphin Power Ranger genre. Yeah. So I'm not familiar with it enough to actually know what Common Rider looks like. So uh, you've probably seen uh, images of him because of how popular he was. You, uh, the green bug man with a red scarf. He would have red eyes and a green helmet, uh, white gloves. You ever seen anything? Oh, yeah. That? No, okay. I've seen it. It's just like I've seen it, yeah. but I don't know if that's like if there's specific uh, installments of Common Rider, or is that just the Common Rider always looks like that? Because I always okay. remember Common Rider as looking like a Beetleborg. Yes, so uh, that was the very the one that looks like a Beetleborg. That was the very first Common Rider, and think about Common Rider as whereas uh, Super Sentai Power Rangers are for kids from seven and under. Common Rider is for that teenage age. For instance, when people get hurt, they there's actually blood and there's death, and so they deal with a lot more heavier stuff. And sometimes the uh, uh, stories deal with uh, uh, heavier themes. And 
the whole point of Common Rider, at least in the beginning, was he was a human experiment, and sort of like the Million Dollar Man, and uh, it's like a mishmash of the story for Cyborg Zero Zero Nine, whereas there was this evil company who made him, and he essentially broke out of their control and became a force to help fight against uh, the company that made him. And the thing that made him popular was that he would ride on a motorcycle, which is why he was called Common Rider, because common means masked. So he was the masked rider. And that's the and uh, all the series, it's more of an anthology or a multiverse. So it's like each new Common Rider series that comes out afterwards is like an alternate universe where it's a different Common Rider for different reasons. And it the main focus is the it, the main dude has to have a uh, power where he can change into a Super Sentai suit, and he has to have a motorcycle so that he can be the common rider. Uh, that's like one of the main themes that go on in there. And I, all that is to say that from the common rider series that I've seen. There has been really good storytelling elements that have been in this uh, shows, and the reason why I was asking was because I wanted to know which ones that he had his hand in. Because if he was on some of the good, better ones, then I would have held him. Then, then he should have done better work. But I have seen other common writer shows where the stories sort of fall flat, and I wanted to either have more reason to berate this writer or have a reason to explain why we had the show that we had. Now I'll step okay, off the soapbox. So, <laughs> oh, no, it's fine, because I think we're in the same camp as this show is so boring that I got so excited to finish it. Like, it's really <laughs> hard to explain that it's more like i want to watch all of this so i can be done with it forever so I've, again yeah three episode tests again like so the first episode is uh called iron man and arrives in japan so it's a mm -hmm. very it's a very interesting setup to like a iron man story actually that's even the problem off the bat is that it's not very much an iron man story no and it's it not really it literally could have been anything else. And I think that's the whole uh, problem with the series just from the first three episodes is that this this has nothing to do with Tony Stark. It's literally a mecha action, um, evil monster of the week, uh, problem solving, fighting show. And like, again, like I kind of get the relation to the Common Rider series is that there's a monster of the week or a problem of the week or some yeah. some obstacle that Tony Stark needs to confront. But again, it's not anything that needs to be Iron Man about it. And we talked about High School of the Dead, how it's like basically a commentary of Western media and like the zombie genre. We also talked about the world God only knows that talks about gamers and like mm -hmm. kind of culture around gaming and how toxic some of like certain gameplays can be but this like there's nothing essential to the story that demands tony stark be in it and tony stark is such a good character again like stories like demon in the bottle or mm -hmm. uh, extremist 
which uh, Warren Ellis did write. That's why I brought up his name earlier. Because Warren did Extremist? Yeah. Oh, yeah. dude. Are you serious? Why does he yeah, have yeah. his name attached to this work? <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Is that you obviously see that that disparity oh. between a presenter or a writer that presents a pitch to the series and then the series writer that basically takes it in from a new direction because Warren Ellis also uh, consult or counseled on Iron Man 3 when, oh, uh, who is that director? Uh, the director of Iron Man 3. Oh, Shane Black. Shane mm -hmm. Black did Iron Man 3. So they explored the extremist kind of arc in that movie. So yeah. like, again, like that would have been a Tony Stark story, but this very much falls flat. Uh, for me, it felt like I was reliving uh, Dragon Ball Evolution or M. Night Shyamalan's Avatar. It was all flash and no substance. And it, it presented something that was interesting, having Tony's character being viewed and critiqued by the Japanese populace and it, it was like that was that's an interesting con concept because of how company oh sorry how Tony is uh comes off as a uh, super braggadocious just with his personality is just very strong is very straightforward and apparently the Japanese society even company men the what their values or how they present themselves it's just totally different that if they had focused more on that in terms of the scenes with the reporter that would have been uh more interesting but in the show it was more of a caricature of tony it was like everybody else was telling their representation of tony of what he should have been but he wasn't doing anything like that. They were saying, oh, you should be more humble. You should be more humble. And he was doing nothing but be humble. For instance, he got to meet with the uh, Ministry of Defense, I think is that the, the main dude that's in, uh, behind the Ministry of Defense. And uh, he was just very humble about it. Not very Tony. He was just saying, oh, I'm thankful thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to meet me and uh, was just being very accommodating. For instance, he told Tony to get into the helicopter so that they can ride around town and talk privately. Tony's not about that. He was like, yo, no, you come see me. I flew over here to this country. The least you can do is to, you know, see me in my environment, not you and your helicopter, you know? And he even complimented this reporter as – I don't know. It, it might be just like a translational thing. He, he she, she had fallen. He had caught her, and he was saying, oh, the reporters are just as beautiful as all the other women here. And she slapped him for it, saying that that was over the line. Are you serious? That was something that's normal. I mean, again, it's from a Western mindset. I don't know – if you if it's considered good uh, manners to compliment somebody that you're supposed to be uh, that's supposed to be interviewing you or anything else like that, but it's not like he was being super rude or super crude about it. 
and yet she slapped him for it. It was sort of just like the work was trying to convince its audience by convincing itself that it had a proper representation of Tony when in fact it didn't. And even his whole reasons for going over there to Japan was was just dumb and infuriating. And I'm, I'm going to stop before I start to stand on a rant box. <laughs> All right, no, but I agree with everything you said. Again, like, I think it's, one, if you understand who Tony Stark is as a character, and especially given how many movies we have experienced mm-hmm. now, given this Marvel Cinematic Universe, and this standing up next to after the release of Iron Man 2, is that this Tony Stark is such a poor depiction of what we're as a, you know, audience knows about Tony Stark, even if you're not mm-hmm. familiar with how he's supposed to be represented in the comic books, you get that if the movie Tony Stark, who is charismatic, not much of a playboy, I mean, it feels like in this that his playboy status is like toned up for some reason. I mean, even the like the female character that you mentioned earlier as a news reporter does do that slap, but it feels uh, ingenuine, disingenuous. Because, yeah. like, she's a ditzy character, she's a tag-along, she's somewhat of, she plays into that ganky girl kind of stereotype of, you know, harem anime of, like, oh, yeah, she's ditzy, but she's, like, good at her job. She's the, she's not the lowest lane version of a reporter. She's the, I don't even know what the opposite would be, but <laughs> in that way, she's being yeah. essentially. Either she's being the damsel in distress or she's getting into, Oh no, I need Tony Stark to save me kind of situations. And again, it feels just forced, even though there's supposed to be a equal standing or there is a foreseeable role she can play in the story, but they never lean into that. So it's all very much a shadow characterization of all the characters across the board. Even the, the pairing to Tony Stark, who is the, representative of the Japanese special defense force. Mm-hmm. And again, the commentary that can be made is that Japan is very much a deep militarized, deep militarized country. So him going to Japan to build an arc reactor does bring parallels to Japan's stance on like nuclear technology and clean energy. But again, the series is too busy with, Oh, bad guys need to blow up something and giant robots need okay. to fight. So now, now I'm, I'm I'm glad that you had explained that because I can understand there was that one scene where he was he being Tony was trying to help some first responders because there was an explosion in a city, uh, in the city, and they were mad at him because of how he made his fortune. Because now now I can understand that scene a little bit more, but still even then. That scene felt so forced in him trying to get the Japanese person to like him. Uh, you, you, you know, like you said, uh, it's a demilitarized zone, so like they don't uh, they they don't want to use uh, nuclear uh, energy or um, uh, use uh, weapons of any sort, and. Just their uh, the main uh, first responders' uh, reaction to Tony 
and you know, he, he doesn't care about what he did as Iron Man. He just cares of uh, how he made his fortune. And now, now I can understand his stance a little bit if that was explained. But then again, I think this show was more or less made for Japanese people to sort of reinforce their uh, quote-unquote misled uh, ideas about Iron Man and how that character is represented. Yeah, that's fair. Because, I mean, there is a strong leaning, again, like what we talked about with um, High School of the Dead is that how are foreigners viewed through the Japanese lens? And again, like there could have been some kind of depth to that, but what you're saying is that they're kind of confirming biases that they've already yeah, had. They're not really challenging anything. They're not really adding anything to a conversation. And then even though it's shallow in that way, then also it's so boring because for one, the CGI is terrible. Madhouse is, is such a big studio. I mean, they're responsible for what we've talked about earlier, like Tatami Galaxy, High School of the Dead. They're kind of known for One Punch Man, and they most recently did like No Gun Life. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they have a visual style that's like uh, Ghibli or A1 Pictures, but they do have somewhat of a consistent they have, uh, animation. They're known for their production. quality work. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But in here, it feels like their CGI is just like rushed. Again, talking about something like 10 years ago, I mean, there are examples of good CGI from 10 years ago, but like mm-hmm. for Madhouse to put that little care into Tony Stark's suit and the other suits in the show, when in the in the trailer, I don't know if you got a chance to watch the trailer, Sam, but in the trailer, they do a hand-drawn art style and don't even use the same design for in, that they did in the show. So it's like serious? visually... Uh... Yeah, it's like visually, it's like visually distinct enough that you're like, this wasn't what I signed up for. <laughs> so even with the like superficial uh, notions that they're trying to capture, then the pacing of the three episodes. So like we go from Iron Man arrives in Japan for episode one, where the Dio suit um, malfunctions and Tony has to stop it. And the suit goes missing in episode two, there's like a plutonium heist and Tony's yeah. accused of it. Then episode three, there's killer tornadoes. And we haven't even talked about the antagonists of the series, the Zodiac organization, who are so bland and like like so uninteresting as characters. So like all the villains that Tony goes up to mm-hmm. on a like again, monster of the week basis are named after the Zodiac. So like episode one is Scorpio, episode two is Cancer, mm-hmm. episode three is Aries, and they're just so... That was Aries? Oh. Yeah, the tornado. Bad wordplay. Bad wordplay. But sure. I, I, I will say, in, in the comics, there was a... There was an organization known as the Zodiac. I, only, I mainly know this because there was a Spider-Man arc that happened maybe two or three years ago that dealt with... Uh, I think it was Scorpio. Uh, from uh, the Zodiac, uh, he he was uh, Spider Man was dealing with him, and at that time Spider Man was more of an international per, uh, personality, so he had to deal with the different 
uh, uh, people in that organization. And uh, with what was represented in that iteration of the Zodiac was there was magic stuff that was going on. And that's always been interesting when Tony... So, so, I'm, I'm, so I'm just assuming that if Spider-Man had a run-in with the Zodiac, then Tony must have had a run-in with them at some point or another. So, you know, that 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 group is an established group and I can see them using a lesser known villain or villainous group that have some sort of background to be put in a new work. Like for instance, with uh, in the spectacular Spider-Man, how they use tombstone, you know, uh, you know, something like that. It was, you know, a lesser known character to sort of reinvent them, so to speak, to bring new life into the work that, uh, that they were being a part of. And, I've always liked uh, stories where they've pitted Tony against magic because it's everything that Tony doesn't stand for, doesn't go against. And so it's always a good avenue to see him grow in that regard. And it's the members that were shown in this show, it's not even a ghost of a shell of the Zodiac that I've been exposed to. So, as you said, it's bland and very, very forgetful, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll stop. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and it's interesting enough that this did warrant a follow-up movie, so maybe the movie was already in the works at the time, because the movie was uh, released in 2013, so it was a good mm-hmm. period after this that the movie came out and that was rise of the oh so rise of the techno technovore i did i didn't watch that funny enough i watched out i watched that without having to watch the anime and i didn't even know that it was associated with the anime i thought it was an independent thing and i enjoyed it for what it was now my memory is sullied (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah so it's a direct-to-video sequel that came out two years after it and it's very interesting like they did it again for um uh black widow and the avengers i think mm-hmm. i forgot what that was like uh, black widow declassified i believe that was yeah. the other in movie part of this marvel anime and that wasn't the black widow and punisher right when she was teamed oh, up yeah, with Punisher. Punisher. Yeah, 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 you're right, you're right. Because Norman Reedus from Walking Dead fame voiced uh, Punisher in that. Oh, so, yeah, he, he did. Was, okay. Yeah. That's why I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I think we're both in the camp that, I mean, we're not talking about Resurrect or Rebury. We're talking more yeah, sus. Sus or so, expect. This is definitely a sus from both of us. Would you agree, Sam? Oh, most definitely. I would uh, just go on to say with with Marvel, their animated stuff, it, they've always been, they they've been more inconsistent than anything. You know, they'll have some good stuff like uh, Spider Man or uh, X Men from the '90s, and then they'll get a flop. Say something like uh, Ultimate Spider Man, right after uh, Spectacular Spider Man, which was a good. What's a, a good under the radar work, whereas uh, Ultimate was more of a cash grab. I would say 
uh, DC is more consistent in their animated works. It, it seems like no matter, oh, it seems a lot of their uh, animated stuff, whether it be the movies or the TV shows, they're consistently good. Whereas uh, Marvel is more of a shot in the dark. So I, it's sad to say, but it's not unsurprising uh, with this work. Yeah, that's fair. I think it's more not surprising because of how diverse this could have been. Yeah. <laughs> because they were reaching out in a very unprecedented way to like, oh, Madhouse is such a big name in the anime industry, so let let us like kind of do a collaborative work with them. But again, like not having Warren Ellis actually write the story and having someone else that is like Japanese entrenched into like the tropes and the archetypes so it's more receptive to I guess a Japanese audience but again mm -hmm. a lot of that is lost because there's a clear understanding of what the character is and what the character isn't and I think that in that that's where the show is just uninteresting that they don't really have a good grasp of what makes Tony Stark relevant especially if they were going mm -hmm. to this did show on G4, if you remember. <laughs> I remember G4. I remember G4. Yeah. yeah, so it did. It does have a dub. I actually listened to the dub. Did you listen to the sub, Sam? Yeah, it was the sub, and it made everything worse. <laughs> Seeing him in his in his eighties haircut in two thousand ten. Oh my goodness. Yeah, there are, I mean, we've just talked about the story beats, but also yeah. like the the music, the sound design is all lacking, the the opening and the ending are kind of lackluster. There's nothing really standoutish about any of it. I mean, the supporting cast is very bland as well. There's really no interesting characters. There's like one can I even say one? I can't even say one. I can't even name one. But yeah, just a below the bar average series and just completely sus of I'm sure that every episode is going to have another member of the Zodiac. There's going to be a lot of sexual harassment mm -hmm. calls out on Tony for being a playboy, even though he's not, not really a playboy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Misunderstandings between Americans and Japanese people. Um, again, lackluster fight scenes. It's going to be, big monsters smashing into each other without much animation or thought into how they're fighting. And that's all there is about this series, really. Oh, um, I'm trying to think of something positive. The one, the one thing that they did show that Tony was Tony when he said that he uh, was going to retire, he had a ceremony that happened and he was trying to show off his new Dio suit and he told the people who were trained to pilot it that he wasn't going you know he was going to let them do it because you know he it was their time to shine and lo and behold during the Dio presentation guess who was in the armor it was Tony that was like the one Tony thing that they got right that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Cause again, like that's kind of goes into essentially his core character is that he's untrustworthy. I mean, he's not 
untrustworthy. He's untrusting, very much in the same vein as like Iron Man is the Marvel Batman, same way as Bruce Wayne's untrusting of people. Like it's it's in the sense of well, Gotham and things are better in my control. Again, talking about what would be Ultron coming up in the timeline of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and why that was created. But the other thing, oh, to mention Mm -hmm. lastly, before we wrap this up, is that you can't really find this series anywhere. It's streaming nowhere, and the only way you can really get your hands on it is through Amazon Prime Video, Mm -hmm. Google Play, iTunes, but... uh, I mean, if you want to ignore the first three episodes, it's episode four is free on IDBM, IM, IMDb. Thank you. Yeah. So the show is that. free on IMDb. I think that says enough for itself. Well, just episode four. Oh, just <laughs> but, episode yeah. four. <laughs> just episode four. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I didn't grab the price because there's no way I would buy this no matter what price it would be at. But yeah, that says that the Iron Man by Studio Madhouse or part of the Marvel anime series is a sus for both of us. So Sam, let's wrap this up. Is there anything you want to say before we close out this episode? I just have to say the way that you had down talked this anime and the Japanese people who made it they're not going to – how are we going to have our fellow weebos respect you, Jay, if you're just not humble? Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the Weebs on the Weekends podcast. We have been your part-time weeb hosts, Jay Johnson and Sam Martinez. Have a beautiful weekend, and we will see you next time, our fellow weebs.